Let me pray for us, and we'll get started tonight. Father, thank you for your word. Your word is truth. Thank you for your spirit who takes your word and applies it to us. Uh, We need his help, his instruction, his empowerment, his insight tonight as we go through your word. Would you change our minds and change our hearts, please? And Father, we also pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Uh, Would you work your mighty work over there? Uh, We pray for that part of the world, but particularly for Israel. So we thank you for all these things. Pray tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, 2 Samuel. Uh, We're in Psalms, but we're in 2 Samuel. Still talking about the monarchy. We have one lesson left in 2 Samuel. So last week we were looking at uh, Absalom, and David wrote some psalms during that time. And I thought, well, that's fun. Let's look at the psalms that David wrote, the prayers he offered up during this time when Absalom is doing all that craziness. Hopefully that'll instruct us uh, for other times when we get into... um, difficult circumstances and situations. So when David was squeezed by the powerful hand of agonizing circumstances, what was released and revealed was the heart of God. So when that, when that hand squeezed the sponge, what came out, what came out was the heart of God. So how do we pray? in times of pain or agony? How do we pray when God seems distant? How do we pray when the bottom seems to have dropped out? We can pray as David prayed. So when things are really tough, we can pray as David prayed. And we'll learn some things from his the psalms he wrote in this time, most of them in this time with Absalom. Not all of them, but most of them. So I've called this one Praying in the Midst of Pain. Uh, This material has been adopted and adapted from Dr. Alan Ross, who wrote the book, The Commentary on Psalms, in the Bible Knowledge Commentary, the Old Testament section. Um, In fact, I've used his outlines of the Psalms because they're just so good. Can't reinvent the wheel. Just steal it. But I'm giving him credit. Uh, Great, great stuff. If you're looking for every once in a while somebody says, what's a commentary that I should get? Um, Bible knowledge commentary these days is in two volumes. There's an Old Testament and a New Testament version. No, there's not. Oh, they've broken it up more. Okay. Bible Knowledge Commentary. If you're looking for a good commentary (laughs) series to get, I'd still recommend Bible Knowledge Commentary. A great, it's not um, the easiest commentary, but it's not the hardest one. It's it's a nice kind of mm, almost middle of the road sort of a thing. So enough depth and uh, extra stuff that you'll like it, but not so much that you have to know all the languages and you have to interact with ah, harder stuff. So Bible Knowledge Commentary is a great commentary to buy yourself for Christmas. Yeah, Merry Christmas to me. Praying in the Midst of Pain. Uh, The way I'm going to do this, you've seen it in the notes, is uh, I'm going to read a psalm. Uh, First, I'll sort of set it up. Uh, A lot of it will come from the superscription, which is, at least in my Bible, is a little italicized part before it gets into the psalm. So there's a little superscription that tells us the setting for the psalm. And then I'll read the psalm, and then we'll take it apart. 
little piece at a time. And I think we've got um, just enough psalms that uh, this will be a good, uh, a good lesson on how to pray and how da- uh, watching David pray, instructing us how to pray. Okay, Psalm 3. Psalm 3 says it's a psalm of David regarding the time David fled from his son Absalom. So you think that I'm a lot smarter than you. It's true, so you should continue to think that. (laughs) But what's a psalm that David might have written when he's fleeing from Absalom? Look in the superscription, and it says, regarding the time David fled from his son Absalom, winner, you can do this. Just look at the little italicized part. You just have to look through all 150. And you'll find it. Um, Some think, I I happen to be one of them, which is just interesting, but this is perhaps the evening song of the first day David fled Jerusalem from Absalom. So remember David, they go out barefoot, they've got thrown ashes and their heads are uncovered and all this kind of stuff. So they're going out in mourning. And this is what David, perhaps when he gets settled that night, uh, he sits down and he, he composes a prayer that would have been sung. And so this is the prayer that he composed. Uh, oh Lord, I have so many enemies. So many are against me. So many are saying, God will never rescue him. You ever been in a situation like that? It feels like you're surrounded and someone is whispering in your ear, God is never going to rescue you. But you, O Lord, are a shield around me. You are my glory, the one who holds my head high. I cried out to the Lord and he answered me from his holy mountain. I lay down and slept, yet I woke up in safety, for the Lord was watching over me. I am not afraid of 10,000 enemies who surround me on every side. Arise, O Lord, rescue me, my God. Slap all my enemies in the face. Shatter the teeth of the wicked. Victory comes from you, O Lord. May you bless your people. So one of the things at the end of this psalm, this is called an imprecatory psalm. If you're talking about slapping people in the face and breaking their teeth and stuff, it's called an imprecatory psalm. Probably God's not going to listen to that these days because Jesus said, turn the other cheek. Okay, but in this day, it was appropriate for David to pray, Lord, backhand them, slap them, and knock their teeth out. (laughs) So that's what David prays. That's that's okay. Interesting. Look at verse 5. I lay down and slept, yet I woke up in safety. Why? For the Lord was watching over me. David composes this perhaps the first evening he's there. Kind of breaks down like this. He states that he's surrounded by enemies. I've, I've heard people pray and they're like, you know, you don't have to pray that. God knows. You know, God knows you're surrounded. Oh, David prayed it, so I'm going to go ahead and pray it. <laughs> I'm not in really informing God. I'm just Lord, I'm here, and I'm in the middle of this thing. So you're not, he doesn't go, oh, what? Oh, there you are. I didn't know where you'd gotten to. He's not lost sight of you. You're just reminding him that where you are. So you're surrounded by enemies. But in verses 3 through 6, he is sustained by God. And then in 7 through 8, He is saved by God out of his situation. Victory comes from you, O Lord. May you bless your people. And depending on your translation, it might say interlude. 
or it might say Selah, S-E-L-A-H, which means sort of pause and think about it. So here is a psalm, the first night that David is out, he sits down, he composes this prayer, which he might have sung or those around him might have joined him sort of in, uh, in singing. And here's the lesson that I think we can get out of Psalm 3 when we're in difficult circumstances. Those who are in the midst of danger should trust the Lord for protection, enabling them to rest in sleep. How can David sleep? Because he knows the Lord is his protector. That's some trust right there. So Psalm 3, great for you find yourself in a situation that seems um, really, really, really challenging, and you wonder if you're going to be able to get to sleep. Think about David, Psalm 3, cry out to the Lord and ask Him to protect you even while you sleep. Psalm 4. Uh, probably the song or the prayer that he wrote the next morning. So the Psalm 3 is what he, the prayer he wrote when he's first on the run. He sleeps that night, Psalm 3. He gets up the next morning and composes Psalm 4. So it's a prayer, but it would have been sung. Yeah, perhaps uh, the morning song from the next day. Answer me when I call to you, O God, who declares me innocent. Free me from my troubles. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. How long will you people ruin my reputation? How long will you make groundless accusations? How long will you continue your lies? Interlude. You can be sure of this. The Lord set apart the godly for himself. The Lord will answer when I call to him. Don't sin by letting anger control you. Think about it overnight and remain silent. Offer sacrifices in the right spirit and trust the Lord. Many people say, who will show us better times? Let your face smile on us, Lord. You have given me greater joy than those who have abundant harvests of grain and new wine. In peace, I will lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, will keep me safe. Is that amazing to you? David says, you have given me greater joy. Now, what's happening? He's on the run from Absalom. They're hunting him. Remember the guy, he's throwing rocks at him. He's got all kinds of stuff going on, and he says, you have given me greater joy than those who are celebrating a feast somewhere. Because he knows whose he is and who has taken responsibility for his life, and that's the Lord. The outline looks like this. Verse 1, he offers up a call to God. Then he sends a warning to his enemies, and he describes the joyous peace he has in God. Lesson, true joy and peace don't depend on circumstances, but instead rely on God's faithful protection and provision. Great lesson for us. True joy and peace don't depend on circumstances, but instead rely on God's faithful protection and provision. David's amazing. He writes great prayers, song prayers. Psalm 6. This is a time when David is suffering from an almost fatal disease. I included this. It's probably not when he's on the run from Absalom, but it also illustrates what happens when he is in desperate circumstances. 
a desperate situation. He seems to be suffering from a disease that could have taken his life. Psalm 6, O Lord, don't rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your rage. Have compassion on me, Lord, for I am weak. Heal me, Lord, for my bones are in agony. I am sick at heart. How long, O Lord, until you restore me? Return, O Lord, and rescue me. Save me because of your unfailing love. For the dead do not remember you. Who can praise you from the grave? I am worn out from sobbing. All night I flood my bed with weeping, drenching it with my tears. My vision is blurred by grief. My eyes are worn out because of all my enemies. Go away, all you, do, all you who do evil, for the Lord has heard my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord will answer my prayer. May all my enemies be disgraced and terrified. May they suddenly turn back in shame. If the king is sick, and even sick unto death, what begins to happen? His enemies begin to <laughs> move in because he's weak, and they think they can overtake him. He's crying out to the Lord in the midst of this illness uh, that God would fight for him. So the outline looks like this. He prays for relief from suffering. He prays for deliverance from the situation, meaning all the enemies who are beginning to gather to throw him over. And then he laments over his illness just a little bit but he has an assurance of his restoration. And in fact, this disease did not kill David. We don't know what it is or exactly when it is, but he did not die. So lesson, in the midst of agony and suffering, God hears weeping hearts and answers. Psalm 41, Psalm 41 is written after an event of betrayal, uh, betrayal and treachery. Probably this is after Ahithophel went with Absalom. And so David writes this in Psalm 41. He says, Oh, the joys of those who are kind to the poor. The Lord rescues them when they, were in, when they are in trouble. The Lord protects them and keeps them alive. He gives them prosperity in the land and rescues them from their enemies. The Lord nurses them when they are sick and restores them to health. Oh, Lord, I prayed, have mercy on me. Heal me, for I have sinned against you. But my enemies say nothing but evil about me. How soon will he die and be forgotten, they ask. They visit me as if they were my friends, but all the while they gather gossip. When they leave, they spread it everywhere. All who hate me whisper about me, imagining the worst. He has some fatal disease, they say. He will never get out of that bed. Even my best friend, the one I trusted completely, the one who shared my food, has turned against me. Lord, have mercy on me. Make me well again so I can pay them back. I know you are pleased with me, for you have not let my enemies triumph over me. You have preserved my life because I am innocent. You have brought me into your presence forever. Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, who lives from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. First, David um, enunciates the, the merciful obtain mercy. That there's going to be vengeance for treachery. 
David is asking for that vengeance to come on his enemies now or, or, or then. Uh, you and I, uh, the Lord says in Romans, he says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. The Lord will take care of any vengeance. We don't need to execute vengeance. The Lord does that on our behalf. He also says that there will be deliverance for those with integrity. Lesson, those who aid the needy in their time of distress will themselves receive deliverance. On the other hand, those who take advantage of the weak are ripe for vengeance. The Lord seems to love the poor the helpless, the weak, the needy, a lot. I wonder if we do. Psalm 55. Again, another psalm that seems to be written in the, the time frame of Ahithophel's betrayal. David writes this prayer, which would have again been sung. Listen to my prayer, O God. Do not ignore my cry for help. Please listen and answer me, for I am overwhelmed by my troubles. My enemies shout at me, making loud and wicked threats. They bring trouble on me and angrily hunt me down. My heart pounds in my chest. The terror of death assaults me. Fear and trembling overwhelm me, and I can't stop shaking. Oh, that I had wings like a dove, then I would fly away and rest. I would fly far away to the quiet of the wilderness." How quickly I would escape, far from this wild storm of hatred. Confuse them, Lord, and frustrate their plans, for I see violence and conflict in the city. Its walls are patrolled day and night against invaders, but the real danger is wickedness within the city. Everything is falling apart. Threats and cheating are rampant in the streets. It is not an enemy who taunts me. I could bear that. It is not my foes who so arrogantly insult me. I could have hidden from them. Instead, it is you, my equal, my companion and close friend. What good fellowship we once enjoyed as we walked together to the house of God. Let death stalk my enemies. Let the grave swallow them alive. For evil makes its home within them. But I will call on God, and the Lord will rescue me. Morning, noon, and night I cry out in my distress, and the Lord hears my voice. He ransoms me and keeps me safe from the battle waged against me, though many still oppose me. God, who has ruled forever, will hear me and humble them. For my enemies refuse to change their ways. They do not fear God. As for my companion, he betrayed his friends. He broke his promises. His words are as smooth as butter, but in his heart is war. His words are as soothing as lotion, but underneath are daggers. Give your burdens to the Lord, and he will take care of you. He will not permit the godly to slip and fall. But you, O God, will send the wicked down to the pit of destruction. Murderers and liars will die young, but I am trusting you to save me. There is terrifying oppression going on in David's life. I know we talked about the, the history of that last time. There is a painful betrayal, but David doesn't dwell on the betrayal. He moves on to personal confidence in the Lord. Lesson, those who've been betrayed 
should call confidently on their redeeming God to enable them to see it through. You can imagine David's first response so far in all of these psalms is to go to God, not to go to men, but to go to God. And he, when you say, what does it mean to pour out your heart to God? Some of you are maybe naturally better at this than others of us. We're a little slower to figure out what we're really thinking or feeling. But David pours out his heart and holds nothing back when he's talking to God. And he's confident that God hears him and God will respond in an appropriate way at an appropriate time. Psalm 61 Uh, this is written in a time of David's narrow escape in the wilderness. It's either Saul, when he's running from Saul, or it's when he's running from Absalom. Either way, he's on the run. He's out of Jerusalem, and he's on the run. So either setting will work. Um, I kind of think it's Absalom, but it, it doesn't really matter. David's on the run. Psalm 61. Oh God, listen to my cry. Hear my prayer. From the ends of the earth, I cry to you for help when my heart is overwhelmed. Lead me to the towering rock of safety, for you are my safe refuge, a fortress where my enemies cannot reach me. Let me live forever in your sanctuary, safe beneath the shelter of your wings." For you have heard my vows, O God. You have given me an inheritance reserved for those who fear your name. Add many years to the life of the king. May his years span the generations. May he reign under God's protection forever. May your unfailing love and faithfulness watch over him. Then I will sing praises to your name forever as I fulfill my vows each day. So David is on the run. The outline, he's asking God to lead him basically to himself, lead him to the rock, who is God. He says, I long to dwell in your tent or perhaps even in your tabernacle, and then I will sing your praises. Lesson. Those faint and weary from being on the run can find assurance in the strength of the rock and encouragement from his word. I love this line in verse 5. For you've heard my vows, O God. You have given me an inheritance reserved for those who fear your name. You and David share something. You have an inheritance reserved for you that the Lord Jesus purchased and is sharing his inheritance with you. You are this person. When David says, you have given me an inheritance reserved for those who fear your name, that is also you. He has given you an inheritance. You're one of his heirs. When you pray, are you reminded of that? I don't mean in an arrogant way, but a reminder how important your heirs are to you. You calling out to God saying, Daddy, <laughs> I'm one of your heirs. Help me. Great lessons as David, what David understands about God and how he approaches him. Um, always reverential, always with the fear of God, but also with truth and with depth. 
in his prayers. So Psalm 61, 2, and 3, there's sort of a three-parter here. Psalm 62 is written when David was waiting on God's deliverance, okay? So here's when he narrowly escapes in Psalm 61. Now he's waiting in Psalm 62. He's waiting on God to deliver him. He's just escaped, and now he's waiting. He says, I wait quietly before God, for my victory comes from making great schemes, for taking plans into my own hands. Oh, it doesn't say anything like that, does it? If you knew Hebrew, do you know what it says? It says, for my victory comes from him. (laughs) That's what it says. I wait quietly before God, for my victory comes from from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress where I will never be shaken. So many enemies against one man, all of them trying to kill me. To them, I'm just a broken down wall or a tottering fence. This makes me think this is during the time of Absalom when David is a little older. They plan to topple me from my high position. They delight in telling lies about me. They praise me to my face, but curse me in their hearts. Let all that I am wait quietly before God, for my hope is in Him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress where I will not be shaken. My victory and honor come from God alone. He is my refuge, a rock where no enemy can reach me. O my people, trust in him at all times. Pour out your heart to him, for God is our refuge. David is waiting in the wilderness for God to act. What's the fourth fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace. Mm. Sometimes we American Christians struggle with patience. Well, maybe you don't. I do. David is waiting on God's deliverance. Here's the outline. Rest in God when enemies assault. Trust in God at all times. And God will reward each person. Oh, I didn't finish reading it, did I? Common people are as worthless as a puff of wind, and the powerful are not what they appear to be. If you weigh them on the scales, together they are lighter than a breath of air. Don't make your living by extortion or put your hope in stealing. And if your wealth increases, don't make it the center of your life. God has spoken plainly, and I have heard it many times. Power, O God, belongs to you. Unfailing love, O Lord, is yours. Surely you repay all people according to what they have done. Lesson. Find rest in your all-powerful God rather than in human schemes or devices and wait on Him. It's that third-to-last word, wait. When people come to my office, you know, what the, you know what they say after they tell me the story? You know, they tell me what, what's wrong or what's up or all this stuff. And then you know what they say? What should I do? <laughs> what should I do? I don't know. Let's look at Psalm 62. <laughs> 
I don't know, are you being hunted in the desert? Oh, you're not? <laughs> David was. You know what he did? He waited. While people are hunting to kill him? Mm. It might feel like you're being hunted, <laughs> but we all want to know, what should I do? I think what you should do is you should pray and declare your trust in God and wait on him. I didn't say that was easy, but that's what, if you want to know what you should do, that's what, no, that's not what I want to do. No, no, no. I'm, I've come in here so you tell me what to do. <laughs> fix this. Yeah, I, I, I can't fix this. Here we go. <laughs> Psalm 62. Let's take a look. And so we're able to walk through Psalm 62 and talk about um, many times the Lord asks, asks us to wait on him. Hard, 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 hard. But that's what he asks us to do. Psalm 63, so the, the trilogy is going to close. This is written at a time when David was separated from the ark um, and or the tabernacle. Because remember, in, uh, when he left, when he escaped from Absalom, he sent the ark back. Remember, they, the guys were bringing the ark, and he goes, no, 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 take the ark back. Because who knows, God may be done with me. And so he says, if God's done with me, that's, that's great. Take the ark back to the city. So he's at least separated from the ark. So he says in Psalm 63, O God, you are my God. I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you in this parched and weary land where there is no water. I've seen you in your sanctuary and gazed upon your power and glory. Your unfailing love is better than life itself. How I praise you. I will praise you as long as I live, lifting up my hands to you in prayer. You satisfy me more than the richest feast. I will praise you with songs of joy. Remember, he's in the wilderness. He's in the desert right now. You hear, you hear what he's saying? I lie awake thinking of you, meditating on you through the night. Because you are my helper, I sing for joy in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your strong right hand holds me securely. But those plotting to destroy me will come to ruin. They will go down into the depths of the earth. They will die by the sword and become the food of jackals. But the king will rejoice in God. All who trust in him will praise him, while liars will be silenced. So David talks about thirsting for God. Well, that's a great question for you tomorrow. Where are you on that scale? What, what do you think that would look like in your, in your life, in your experience? To thirst for God. My soul thirsts for you. How long has it been since you felt that way? Thirsting for God. This is how David feels. I'm thirsting for you, God. How does he satisfy his soul with praise? He satisfies his soul with praise. And he rejoices in victory, it seems, before it's been given. Because he knows God is on his side. And God will someday, some way, somehow intervene and rescue him. What faith, what trust. Lesson, even in the midst of distress, satisfy the longing of your soul for worship by praising God for his loyal love, his unfailing love. 
The thing you might not realize during a time of distress is your soul also is hurting. And how can you fill your soul? Do you fill it with good news? Perhaps. How does David fill his soul? By praising God and remembering his characteristics, his attributes. This is who you are. I worship you. I praise you. That's what he does. And he says, oh, that satisfies my soul. His circumstances haven't changed at all. But his soul is now being fed, even though his circumstances haven't changed. Great prayers in here. We've just taken just a few and looked at them very, very briefly. But this is David in the midst of distress and being squeezed. And how does he respond? These psalms give us an idea of how he prays to God in the midst of this. So here are some things I learned. Psalm 3, trust in God's protection and sleep. Psalm 4, you're safe, and so am I, in God's protective care. Psalm 6, he hears and answers weeping hearts. Psalm 41, integrity seeks mercy, not revenge. Psalm 55, lean your full weight on him. Psalm 61, seek his strength and encouragement. Psalm 62, wait securely on his deliverance. Psalm 63, worship him to nourish your soul. So many times people get into distressing situations. The first, sometimes, actually more times than not, the first thing that goes is worship on Sunday. I'm too busy. There's too many things to this, to that, to that. I get it. I totally get it. But we can't leave off worship because our soul is starving for worship in these times. So worship God to nourish your soul. Some summary observations. Believers can confidently approach God, expecting that He will hear and answer. Is that amazing to you? Say yes. 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 <laughs> Good. Um, people believe different things about prayer. Um, in fact, I just talked to someone this morning, great conversation, and they said, do you think prayer just changes me? In other words, I pray, God knows what he's doing, but I pray to get myself in, in line with God. And I said, I, I hope your prayers do that. I hope they do. But I said, prayer is the other side of the conversation. God speaks. My father wants a conversation. How do I respond to him? How does David respond? He, David is not getting himself lined up with what God wants. <laughs> David is asking for things. It's the other half of the conversation. God, your God, your father wants to hear from you. Now, does, is he a genie in the bottle? Nope, he's not. He is a sovereign, omniscient, all-powerful God who knows exactly what he's doing and what's best for you. And so sometimes he tells you no. But as we talked in 2 Samuel 7, every time he tells you no, it's because he has a better yes for you. You just haven't seen it yet. But he knows what it is. Believers can confidently approach God expecting that he will hear and answer. Believers must trust God and his word despite circumstances 
feelings or past experiences. If I get into bad, uh, bad circumstances, what is my first thought? We talked about this in Job. God's punishing me. He's mad at me. The other shoe's dropping. I knew it was too good to last. And I hope way back in Job we were able to dismantle that. That's not who God is, and that's not what he does. When you get into bad circumstances, it's because you and I live in a fallen world, and things go wrong. It's not because God is punishing you. What about my feelings? I don't feel like God cares. Hmm, I'm sorry. Your feelings are true, but that doesn't mean they're right. Oh, write it down. Your feelings are true, but that doesn't make them right. My feelings can be um, validated through the Word of God. If my feeling is God is distant from me and doesn't like me, then I go to Hebrews 13, and never will I leave you or forsake you. I didn't say that. That's what God says. So my feeling that God has left me is wrong. It's true, but it's wrong. I hope that makes sense. So you can validate your feelings next to the Word of God. Well, no, 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 Bill, you don't understand. Let me tell you the whole story. Okay, tell me the whole story. Mm, yeah, so let's go back to Hebrews 13. Never will I leave you or forsake you. That's what God says. Well, he's left me. Oh, so God's a liar? Well, no, I'm just an exception. Oh, okay, gotcha. <laughs> let's say for the moment, no. What if you're not an exception? Man, your, your feelings, our feelings can really get a hold of us. That's why it's important to know your Bible and to have trusted friends who can, who can listen and say, your feelings are true. They're true. I know you really feel those, but they might not be real. Or, sorry, they're real, but they might not be true. Past experiences. Well, God has never come through for me in the past. <laughs> wow. <laughs> really? That's kind of a bold statement. Well, I've asked him for these 13 things, and he's never given me one. <laughs> I guess you're going to have to take that up with him, because, <laughs> again, he's not a genie. Um, he is the all-powerful, almighty God. I don't know if you watch or look, um, like, I think, like, on YouTube, they have some of the James Webb telescope pictures. Have you seen some of these pictures? They sent up this new pic, right? The Hubble got replaced by the James Webb telescope. That thing can see way, way, way far. And right now, all of the astrophysicists are going, huh, this thing is pretty big. <laughs> this universe, we thought it was big before. Where does this thing end? It's just humongous. And none of, they're like, none of us can comprehend infinity. But, and you look, at these, you look at these pictures and you watch these little movies of them playing this stuff and you see these dots and you think, that dot is a star. No, that dot is a galaxy with a billion stars in it. <laughs> and all you can see is the dot. But it's a galaxy. It is absolutely stunning. And our God created all of that, and Job says, named all the stars. Okay, he's got a lot of names. <laughs> there are a lot of stars out there. He put each one of those out there. It's just absolutely amazing. So your past experiences may not, again, square with the Word of God. So I just keep reminding you, your Bible needs to um, win. <laughs> Believers need communion with God through prayer to renew and nourish their souls. I know many times when I feel dry, you know why it is? It's because I've spent too much time checking email in the morning and not enough time in my Bible or praying. You do that for two or three days, you go, gosh, God seems kind of distant. Where is he? <laughs> oh, Somebody left, but it wasn't him. It's me. 
We need that communion with prayer and time in the Word. And believers might consider lingering with the Lord until they've heard from Him. It does seem there's a couple of instances in here where David spends long enough in prayer that he seems to hear from God. I don't know if that happens every time. It doesn't seem to have happened every time, even in the Psalms we looked at. But it does seem like a couple of times he hears from God. Sometimes maybe we're just a little too quick. I say my prayers, and then I get up and I go about my day. And maybe I just need to linger a little while longer. Maybe he wants to say something, but I'm already up and out of there. <laughs> and I'm not really listening anymore. Something to consider. For next time, read 2 Samuel 20 through 24. And in between now and then, have a wonderful, amazing, happy Thanksgiving. Let me pray for us. Oh, Father, thank you for King David, for recording prayers uh, that he composed so that we could see uh, with our own eyes what he prayed to you about and that we could learn from those prayers. Would you help us to pray? Help us to pray better. Help us to pray a little more deeply. Help us to pray a little more um, reverently and um, trustingly. Uh, you are a great, amazing, magnificent God. You know all things. Nothing is too hard for you, you've said. And at the same time, you walk with us and have said, never will you leave us or forsake us. We are truly blessed. Thank you. I pray this week will be a great week of thanksgiving, first and foremost to you, second for the situation we find ourselves in here in this country. Uh, what an amazing country, what an amazing time. Thank you for the blessings that you've poured out on us uh, at this particular time in this particular country, uh, we have so many things to be thankful for. Would you remind us to be thankful? We love you, and we pray for all of these things, please, in Jesus' name. Amen.